0: Joel Junker here. Welcome to another episode of the Cameron Rooks Podcast, Above and Beyond. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast with Jenna Sanders. Jenna is a former Army uh, signal officer, uh, West Point graduate, and uh, she transitioned just a little over three years ago uh, in transition into sales. It's actually a very unique type of sales, aviation sales. Uh, what I really like about this episode, what I took away from it, is the, uh, the power in a career search of uh, being open-minded to a wide variety of career opportunities. And uh, cause Jenna will tell you the story where she wasn't really considering sales uh, until weeks before the career conference. I called her and talked with her uh, or encouraged her to consider a few cause I thought they'd be good fits for her. And we were simultaneously representing her uh, spouse, uh, Brian. And by opening up to some sales opportunities it would also create some more overlapping uh, locations for them. Not only did she consider a few in addition to other sales, she ended up going uh a few of her other interviews. Uh, she ended up choosing a sales, and she's now the vice president of sales for the eastern region of the United States for a company called VistaJet. Uh, so enjoy the podcast.
1: Jenna, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to be on our show. Just for the listeners, she's calling from a conference room and in New York at her uh, U.S. headquarters for a company. So I, as I mentioned before we jumped on, it's always best if you can introduce yourself, Jenna. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you currently do. Oh,
2: Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me, Joel. It's always good to talk to you. Uh, I work for a company called VistaJet, and we um, are kind of a charter company provider uh, for private airplanes. So I'm a VP of sales for the U.S. But really, my territory is from Virginia down to Florida and then out to the Mississippi. And I kind of I'm just in charge of sales for that territory. So I sell contracts for hours on our airplane. So anywhere from 50 to 500 plus hours on our plane.
1: So you know, to, for our listeners, because I've been able to you know, be a part of your transition to VistaJet and understand, you, to make sure I understand this right, you VistaJet Jet owns a fleet of planes and you're working with predominantly, I would assume, companies to buy, con- they buy a contract. We want 100 hours on a certain type of plane and we've got to use it from A date to to or to this next date is that accurate? What in terms of what VistaJet does?
2: Yeah, that's accurate. Uh, We actually we have a pretty good mix between um, you know companies and then just high net worth individuals that come to us. But yeah, it's the majority of people who just don't want um, you know the hassles and the headaches that come with airplane ownership. And so we own a fleet around the world and. You give us 24 hours notice, and you know, based off your contract, however many hours you have, we come pick you up, take you wherever you need to go. Yeah, and then it's um, all yeah based off that year. So.
1: Um, and so, when you say you come pick them up, so you have if you're, you're you've predominantly got the East Coast. Let's say you have somebody in Atlanta, and do you have planes in Atlanta, or does a plane have to fly from like Raleigh-Durham? to to Atlanta if they do come from someplace else. Does their hours in the jet um count only when the person's physically in the plane?
2: Yes. So our fleet is floating, so we don't really have a home base. Um so that's all of our members don't pay any type of we call them ferry fees if we were to have to move a plane for them. And so Uh, Yeah, I mean, all they're paying for is their occupied hourly rate, which is from point A to point B with some taxi time in between. And then uh, the kind of opposite side of the business where we get revenue to kind of bridge that gap is then we have an app that uh, advertises all of those ferry legs. And then we'll sell those out on the charter market to people who are flexible with their travel.
1: Gotcha. Almost like a, uh, not quite like an Uber, but it's you can see what's all available and see if that fits your, if somebody fits their kind of their itinerary or something like that. So you don't have planes, exactly. reduce the amount of time that planes are flying empty. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, tell us, tell the listeners um, about what you did in the army and um how you ended up getting into aviation sales. I mean, it's pretty unique. We don't have a lot of Cameron Brooks alum in some sort of aviation sales type of realm. And, um, so walk us through a little bit, Jenna Sanders in the military, how you ended up in this role.
2: So I was a signal officer. Um, I graduated from West Point in 2008 and then, uh, was a signal officer from 2008 to 2015 is when I transitioned. And, um, really just was, you know, in leadership roles, platoon leader, XO, company commander when I got out. So I really knew nothing about aviation, but uh, came to the Cameron Brooks conference. And Joel, I remember you called me maybe three or four days before the conference. And you had just said, you know, based off the companies that are coming to the conference, we want to put you in more sales interviews um, because my husband and I were going through the conference at the same time. And just to have more overlap and opportunities with location, uh, you said that, you know, if I was open to some sales interviews, then uh, we'd have more overlap. So I said, of course. Um, And I really didn't go into the conference thinking I was going to end up in sales. And I remember, you know, getting the aviation, the te- it was Textron Aviation that had come to the conference to interview for sales positions. And I remember at the time Brian was really jealous and, and I knew nothing <laughs> even about Textron Aviation. Of course, he knew Cessna Beachcraft and airplanes and he had grown, you know, one of his good friends had flown um, a King Air, I think even. And so, uh, yeah, so it was just... Um, I think uh, I remember Chuck giving his brief on Textron, and it kind of perked my interest a little bit more because it was, um, you know, kind of focused on a high-level consulting-type sales role. And so that really interested me. And then, um, you know, I had a really good interview at the conference and was excited about the company and then went out to Wichita and uh, interviewed on-site with Textron Aviation And, uh, yeah, I got to go through the factory and see the airplanes get built and uh, really kind of started to develop, you know, a love for aviation right then and there. But, yeah, it was really never on my radar before. But, uh, yeah, I really got lucky with it. I have a lot of people who reach out to me and ask, you know, how to get into the industry. And so I feel very fortunate um, to have gotten in really without a background in aviation.
1: What, what, if you look back on that time, let's say you're talking, if you were to talk to other, this is, you are talking to other JMOs that are listening to this, based on that experience of Joel calling me, talking about sales, is there any lessons learned you want to point, you would pass on to other officers that are, I don't know, coming to a conference or thinking about, or they're coming in the next year and thinking about their career search based on your experience of the career conference, the follow-up interviews and Cameron Brooks?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, and I've told people this before um, who have reached out to me kind of um, post-conference, and I I think the, and Brian even fell in the same boat, is that we, I think, got stuck in this box of looking at this is what I've done in the Army, and this is what I've been successful at in the Army, and it was all just management, um, you know, project management, or um, even just kind of people management, and so because of that, I had this notion going into the conference that that's what I was going to do, that I was going to walk in and hit it out of the park with these, you know, that kind of role. And there were some other things that interested me, like consulting. um, But sales really wasn't on my radar, Um, you know, just because I think that in my mind it wasn't something that I did a lot. You know, I just didn't have the background, like, to back it up in my uh, interviews. And so then I remember going into the conference and I think I had my first sales interview with, um, it was um, Biotronic. I had my first sales interview with them. And I think I just started relating to the type of people that uh, were interviewing me that, you know, they were salespeople. And so I I felt personality-wise we were a little bit more aligned than some of my other um, more operational interviews. And and so that's the one thing I would say is that I think it's really easy to kind of look at what you've, what I did in the Army, and it was easy to see all the project management and logistics and that kind of stuff that I did. But it was a lot harder to see, you know, how I would be successful in sales. And had I not done those sales interviews, I think that I would have ended up in one of those roles and been a
1: lot less happy. Um, and then how does your – Your signal officer, um, one would think IT consulting, just like you said, is very easy to see the translatable skill set. How does your skill set from the Army relate to selling aircraft? Like, How do you leverage your military officer experience? In other words, day-to-day, monthly planning, quarterly planning, goal setting, how does it come into play?
2: Yeah, I think the big thing is, especially when I was a company commander, is, you know, I knew what the end state was, and I really just had to, I was in charge of kind of making the training plan and, you know, hitting certain benchmarks along the way um, to, you know, end up wherever we needed to end up with training and statistics at the end of the year. So that's really, I think, kind of helped in sales, too, because I don't have um, really anybody, you know, asking me day to day or week to week what I'm doing. I know each quarter what I need to sell, and I know what it needs to look like by the end of the year. Um, and so even kind of going further, you know, like the Army with, you know, knowing, you know, kind of peak times and things where, you know, sometimes where more people were on vacation and and things like that kind of has transferred even into business as well to understand um, some of the sales cycles and, um, you know, where you kind of – areas where I need to push a little bit harder, where I know things maybe are going to be a little bit slower, so I need to get ahead of those things. So I think that's really where the Army kind of helps with the planning side of sales.
1: You've, you've basically integrated yourself now with two companies post your transition. What What is key to onboarding into a company? What would you say are like the two or three things that somebody new to a company should really focus on or do or not do in the first six months or year?
2: I think that, I mean, the biggest thing for me was kind of, um, especially in sales and not being in the office as much as, um, you know, just especially in the onboarding, the one or two weeks that I was in the headquarters, uh, really taking the time to just get to know everybody there, meet as many people as I could, really understand what they did. So that way, you know, when I was out on my own, I, knew who to call. I knew, you know, who to get help from. And obviously the more time that I spent with them while I was at the headquarters and, you know, had that face-to-face time, the more likely they were to help me, you know, while I was out. So I think that's the biggest thing is just, um, really showing people, you know, that I was excited to be there, that I was looking forward to working with them and getting to know everybody in the organization. I found out pretty quickly that, um, you know, the the most important thing wasn't learning everything about every airplane that we sold in the first few weeks. Um, It was more important for me to really um, get to know everybody at the company and, you know, just understand the dynamic of things um, so I could get help when I needed it.
1: How about in the onboarding with your current company, what are some things that went well for you the first six months um, in integrating with the company, would you say, or things that were you know, really positive ex- experiences?
2: Um, I mean, I got really lucky, I think, with my um, the company I'm at now just because the chairman and founder is so involved. And the first week that I had started with the company, he was in New York. And so I got to really kind of see the dynamic of how involved he was with, um, you know, bringing customers on board and the day-to-day operations of the company um, to really understand the structure um, and kind of how we, you know, how we work as a company and then how we structure deals. Uh, So that was, I mean, that was really beneficial. Uh, I got to spend the next week in London at our London headquarters and see, you know, that side of the business with um, that's kind of where all of our operations and finance and IT are. And so again, um, I think what, was, what really helped me there was just getting to know people there and knowing who I could call because I know, you know, that two weeks, three weeks wasn't enough for me to really understand everything about the way that I could structure contracts or, you know, things that I could do for customers. But at least if I knew you know, people who are successful and, um, you know, willing to help, then I could give them a call and get help anytime I needed it.
1: Um, what, if you look back on your, you know, your, your few years that you've been, I can't even remember how many years has it been now, uh, Jenna, have you, since you've made the transition? Um, almost
2: three. Yeah, it'll be three in August.
1: Right, it's just it's so hard because I remember meeting you and Brian in Savannah, and then several times in uh, several times in um, Fort Riley as well. We've known. I know it's like you knew it hadn't been so long, very long, but I felt like I've known you for like eight years now because <laughs> we met each other so early when yeah. you were in Savannah.
2: I think, yeah, Brian and I probably must hold like one of the records for the longest time in the actual Cameron Brooks program before going to a conference.
1: I don't know. I think some. We had one person that came through a conference last year and been in the program for like nine years. So, um, okay. Yeah, I think he may he may end up having the record. You know, when they have Roger Cameron's notes still on the file that uh, that they're probably in the program for a long time. So. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, what What would your advice to be to somebody that's starting out in a sales career in terms of of how to be successful?
2: Um, I would say definitely start building a network. Um, I don't, I think that I kind of learned that a little bit late and, you know, I, reaching out to people and trying to set up meetings, um, but I didn't really fully understand, you know, that it was okay to just kind of start building my network, um, to help me later in the selling process, um. And, you know, being able to ask people um, for help, uh, you know, especially in sales, you know, you you think that you're kind of all alone. And um, I realized that, you know, if I was meeting with somebody and told them that I was new to the area and, you know, I was trying to meet people, um, you know, they they were definitely willing to give me, you know, one or two other people that I could meet with. um, And just by putting their name in there, the people would usually take a meeting with me. So I would say that, um, you know, that's something that I didn't realize right when I got out. I was kind of more focused on, you know, the product that I was selling and just trying to get in as many meetings with people as I could rather than just kind of building up my network um, to open up doors and then realize that those conversations come. Um.
1: And what do you think are the biggest misperceptions of sales? Or maybe what are the biggest perceptions of sales? And what are the realities and what are the – those are really false perceptions based that you've you've been in it now for a few years?
2: Yeah, so I think um, especially one of the misperceptions that I had is that, you know, you're sitting behind your phone or your computer and you're just trying to cold call people or email people and um, try to sell them on something you know, and you're getting a hundred no's a day, when in reality, one of the things that I love about sales is that, uh, you know, I'm just, the the relationship aspect of it, every day, you know, I'm out meeting with people, developing relationships with people. Um, I was emailing one of my customers this morning um, that flies with us, because he's a huge Browns fan, and about the draft, and, um, you know, it's that kind of thing that, I really enjoy about sales, and I don't think, you know, going into a Cameron Brooks conference, I didn't understand that, you know, it's, it's a relationship-building um, career. It's not, you know, you're not out cold-calling people every day. I mean, there is that aspect to it, but uh, I think that the, the people interaction day-to-day is stuff that, as Army officers, you know, I think people really enjoy versus, you know, getting out or, you know, going somewhere and sitting behind a desk nine to five.
1: Um, and speaking of which, I haven't, because I've been working all day today, who <laughs> did the Browns draft in, in the, who did they draft, uh, by the way?
2: Oh, Baker Mayfield.
1: They, they were, Really? Okay. Yeah,
2: they took Baker Mayfield. So, and then it, he was mad because, so he's a huge Browns fan, and then they took some other, I think, I mean, obviously not a no name, but they picked up like a defensive back, I think, and right. left Chubb on the board. Um, so the Broncos took him at fifth.
1: Right. And um, your team, I just pulled it up. Your team got exactly. Chubb. You're a Broncos fan, so you're happy I, with that.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a little, he, he almost threatened to leave and go to NetJets Jets this morning, but it was all right.
1: <laughs> all right. Um, so the, uh, um, how many times this is for our listeners to know that it's for some cool things you can do for sales? How many times have you been to the Masters? Uh,
2: the last three years.
1: Yeah. So, that, so there's one fun thing about sales—you get to take at least the 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 non-medical device sales. You have a lot of opportunity to take people out for entertaining and and spend time with customers in a social setting. Is that accurate?
2: Okay, that's accurate. That's actually why I'm up in. New York through the weekend is because we partnered with Christie's uh, who does um, art auctions and Peggy and David Rockefeller left their uh, art collection to charity when they died and so Christie's is doing their art auction and so we partnered with them so um, tomorrow night I'm taking two people to the opening of the David and Peggy Rockefeller art collection auction.
1: Well, we expect some uh, pictures to be posted for us to look at that. It sounds pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Just for our yeah. listeners, too, the reason why I said about medical devices, because in the medical device area, the companies and the representatives have to be careful with regulations about entertainment because of conflict and interest, whereas selling planes, you don't have an FDA or anything like that that gets involved or government that gets involved um, because it's not healthcare. You're selling planes. But, uh well, let's um, any any books or learn things that you've learned that you would pass on to other people that are curious about sales that they should read in terms of preparation or even leadership development or just getting better at uh, being a, a development candidate in business that you'd like to pass on. Uh, you
2: know, one of the books that I've kind of read over and over is The Power of Nice, and I love that book and think that I mean it applies to everyday life, but especially in sales, I think it's just, um, you know, I go back and read parts of it, um, you know, maybe even once a month to just um, kind of a good azimuth check um, because it get, it's so easy to kind of get caught up in your own world and um, be so focused on, you know, the number that I need to hit and what I need to sell. And, you know, I, my world starts to revolve around me in reality with sales, um, you know, I really have to kind of focus that energy to everyone else. And so The power of Nice is a really good book to kind of um, remind you of those things and, um, you know, see that by helping other people um, and kind of spending more time doing those things, it actually comes back around a little bit more than if you were just focused on yourself.
1: Yeah. That's that's uh I'm gonna I have not read The Power of Nice. Who wrote that by the way? Do you remember? I don't want to put you on the spot because I can't always remember authors.
2: Sorry, no. I don't remember. It was um it's two people that did a publishing company. I know Jay Leno did the foreword for
1: it. But okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, I can't remember who actually All wrote it.
1: All right. Well we'll put it in the in our podcast notes and the blog and things like that for everybody. Um, parting kind of parting shots type of questions. Best best advice that you've ever received, and will you be willing to share it with other people?
2: Um, So I have a mentor um, in sales, and well, just in business, and they kind of they gave me a really good piece of advice, and they said that you need somebody in business that's at least two to three levels above where you are, that kind of um, can take note of the things that you're doing, and you know have a path for your development. Um, Because the minute you lose that, it doesn't matter, you know, what your performance looks like. I mean, you could be a great performer, but if people two to three levels above you kind of don't know about you, your chances of, you know, career progression go down significantly. So I think that was just kind of a great um, piece of advice that I got that I need to be engaged with, um, you know, leaders in my company, Um, make sure they know who I am, make sure they know, you know, my career goals and what I want to do.
1: And when you, uh, um, if you could talk to, advise yourself all over again from back in three, four years ago, five years ago, what advice would you give yourself if you could do it all over again or talk to the Jennifer Sanders four years ago?
2: Before I got out or like right after I got out?
1: Either way, you can run with it in any direction you want.
2: So I think looking back, um, and I've talked, I've told a lot of people this, is that uh, I wish that I probably would have made the transition out of the Army sooner, that I was holding on to this belief that, you know, all these jobs that I was doing in the Army were going to be great on a resume and look at all this, you know, um, leadership experience I'm getting and, you know, now I'm in charge of 200 people opposed to 80 people and,
0: And the reality
2: was that, um, you know, it it didn't make me any more successful in the business world. And the people who got out earlier than me um, didn't have as much leadership or experience in the Army, but had gotten ahead of me in the business world um, just by virtue of getting out earlier. So I think that's the one thing that I look back and just knowing if I was going to transition to business, I wish I would have done it sooner.
1: I think it's hard. You know, it's it's such a transition. And it's, there's a little bit of risk, obviously. Um, but it's, I think something that's been helping me in thinking through, I mean, really simple things like just picking some different things at restaurants or going to a different restaurant. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. And so sometimes when you know something's not right, if the military not, might not be right for you or other people and you know you want to get out, the path of least resistance is always to stay in. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just easy to keep, to keep on that, that path. And it takes active energy to actually get out. I mean, it's got to have conversations. You got to put a packet in and it doesn't take any active energy to stay in, in the, in that path. And that's what I mean by that path of least resistance. So it's just so hard. And then if you're not willing to venture out, especially if you know it's not right for you, kind of just stay into that system and kind of continue to continue on. And before you know it, if it's not been right for you, you've missed some really good developmental years that you could have been in the business world and really getting your career on track and catching up to your peers who have more business experience. Exactly.
2: And I think that that's, um, you know, obviously with the Army, it was always, you know, the carrot dangling in front of your face with, um, you know, well, we're going to put this opportunity in front of you and now this. And, yeah, I think, you know, Brian and I knew going into the Army that it probably wasn't something we were going to do for a career. And so, yeah, I think it, we just needed to – I mean, you worked with us and <laughs> – I mean, you saw that um, we probably should have made the decision, but, yeah, it was the same thing, that it was just easier to kind of take the next job and promotion than to push back and just say, nope, this isn't right, and it's time to get out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, Jen, I really appreciate you being on the call, sharing your your career and your insights with us. We'll be in Charlotte in June and November, so if you happen to be in town or you're Brian in town, I would love to grab lunch with you again.
2: Yeah, definitely. As long as it's not the 9th, I've got British Polo Day. Say that again? I said, as long as it's not the 9th, we've got British Polo Day up in New York.
1: Oh, well, we should also be (laughs) fortunate to go to British Polo Day like you are. Well, sounds good, Jenna. Congratulations on all your success. And again, thank you for being on our
0: podcast.
1: All right. Thanks, Joel.
0: Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you wanna learn more uh, about Cameron Brooks, the career search process, or transitioning, visit our website at Cameron-Brooks.com. if you are not familiar with our blog, uh, we have uh, uh, a a published post every week um, of either the blog or a podcast like this full of great information about what's going on in the marketplace, uh, tips on transitioning, leadership, interviewing. Uh, Also, check out our book, uh, PCS to Corporate America, which you can order uh, from Amazon.com. And, of course, you can contact us and find us at uh, Cameron-Brooks.com.